The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, inspiration comes from a lot of different places. 100% it comes from different places. You might think that you are going to force a topic into a podcast. I really want to talk about this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it happen. But if you leave your mind open, if you allow inspiration to come from all sorts of different places and all sorts of different angles, you might be surprised at what you find. There was a thought experiment going around social media not too long ago. And I want to frame it to you and then I want to talk about the football metaphor behind this thought experiment. So, close your eyes with me, if you will, unless you're driving, in which case, please don't do that. But, picture this. You are in an arena. In the arena with you are the following groups of animals. 50 hawks, 10 crocodiles, 3 brown bears, 15 wolves, 1 hunter with a rifle. The assumption there is that the hunter is human. They do not specify the type or caliber of rifle. Seven buffalo, 10,000 rats, five gorillas, four lions. The thought experiment is as follows. Pick two of these groups to defend you. The others will attempt to kill you. The goal is to survive for one hour. What do you pick and why? So, of course, the discussion on social media is hilarious because these types of things always are. Would you rather blah, blah, blah are always really, really fun from a thought experiment standpoint. 
people talking about the values of 15 wolves versus three bound bears. They're almost doing like a tournament in their head. There's a March Madness tournament of different animals and groups of animals trying to kill each other. And they're basically trying to get down to the top two. And I made a comment on social media that really we should be talking a lot about those 10,000 rats. Do you know how much 10,000 actually is? If you look at it and you think to yourself, goodness gracious, the entire room I'm sitting in right now would not hold 10,000 rats. 10,000 rats to me is the number one seed in this scenario. 10,000 rats could take down seven buffalo. They could take down 10 crocodiles, three brown bears, 10,000 rats. I think of it this way. How many rats to cover my entire body? 20? 35? 10,000 rats. Rats are not tiny little, you know, itsy bitsy rubber band looking things. Rats are honking animals. They're the size of a small cat. The average rat size in New York City, brown rat, 16 inches long and weighs a pound. Though some do grow to 20 inches and weigh two pounds. Very, very large relative to what you're thinking. 10,000 rats. Really big. Really, really big. When I was a kid, I had an albino white rat. His name was Christopher. I named him Christopher, and he was my albino white rat. He was markedly smaller, but even he was big enough that 10,000 of him would have been a problem. Why on earth am I bringing this up? Because one of the purest forms of a thought experiment is opportunity cost evaluation. This is the purest form of the idea of opportunity cost. And the reason that is is because the things you don't pick are literally trying to kill you. If you don't pick 15 wolves, 15 wolves are trying to kill you. If you don't pick 50 hawks, 50 hawks will try to kill you. This is the purest metaphor for what opportunity cost is. If you pick something, that means you didn't pick something else. That other thing you didn't pick in the NFL very likely could play against you. Opportunity cost matters. And as we go into the offseason, we should be talking about opportunity cost. If you spend your first round pick on a running back, you now can't spend the first round pick on something else. If you spend it on offensive linemen, you can't spend it on a wide receiver. Now, you can spend a second-round pick on a wide receiver, but you can't spend the first-round pick on one. Opportunity cost matters because you have limited assets. When you have limited assets, asset expenditure matters because you do not live in a capless environment. The salary cap is real. It is flexible, very flexible, but it's real. Draft capital is finite. You are operating in a finite resources space. And when you operate in a finite resources space, prioritization becomes important. And prioritization becomes important because it informs your decision making. And getting your priorities right matters because of opportunity cost. You better have your priorities correct 
when you're picking between 50 hawks and 10 crocodiles because if you get it wrong, you're dead. That's the purest form of the idea of opportunity cost. So as we are going through this offseason, as the Buffalo Bills and your favorite team are making expenditures, think about it that way. Think about it with the idea that you are limited. You are operating in a limited resource space, a finite resource space. And because of that, if you spend $25 million on DJ Chark, you now can't spend that on a guard because resources are finite. And maybe it's not going to come back and actually kill you. But maybe that guard gets signed by another team. Maybe it's the Dolphins. Maybe it's the Jets. Maybe it matters a little bit more. Opportunity cost is in its purest form in a thought experiment like this. And that's the way we need to frame ourselves when talking about finite resources in an NFL offseason. We are going to take a quick break. We have got a significant research project to get to. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about opportunity cost and 10,000 rats. And we took an early break this time because... I did a research project, and I want to talk about it. And I wrote an article for buffalorumblings.com where I attempted to predict succession problems that you would have on your NFL roster through draft capital expenditure research. And I want to talk a little bit about it because I mentioned not too long ago that there are only two wide receivers on the Buffalo Bills roster who are under contract for 2024, Stephon Diggs and Khalil Shakir. And when I said that out loud, the wheels started turning. And I started to think to myself, I'll bet you this can be predicted. I'll bet you if we know where a team has spent their assets from a draft capital standpoint, we can correctly predict or at least have a correlation between that and where they could potentially have roster succession issues. Because it rarely pops up unexpectedly for teams. It's not like you didn't know. If you get to 2024 and you go, oh my goodness, we only have two receivers, that's a you issue. Because we can all see what the problem is. Now, a player might have their talent erode faster than anticipated. They might suffer an injury that accelerates their retirement. But overall, you can see positional issues brewing, usually before they happen, simply by looking at roster numbers and contracts. So what is it that causes these succession issues to occur? Well, it's not usually the failure to acquire free agents at a position. That's not it. Players that are acquired via free agency frequently have the potential to be on that NFL roster for fewer years than drafted players due to age only. The average free agent is obviously going to be older than the average draft pick. 
And I'm not even considering the nature of free agency contracts. There are tons of one, two, three-year deals that are signed in free agency. The shortest contract for a drafted player is a four-year deal. And even though I know what you're thinking, plenty of players drafted by a team don't make it to the end of their fourth year. Hey, plenty of free agents don't complete four years either. That's a real thing. So drafting players on cost-controlled contracts that are young is the best way to make sure your numbers in a position room do not falter significantly and require you to sign free agents to fill roster spots. Treat the problem ahead of time. That way you don't have to try and throw a Band-Aid on it. Why? Because free agent players are always going to trend towards being more expensive from a salary cap standpoint versus drafted players. Filling holes proactively with cheaper players is going to lend itself more toward roster flexibility than trying to fill those same holes later with more expensive players. It's a treat the problem before it pops up method. People who are late to the game end up spending more and being less efficient in roster maneuvers. This is where being proactive is going to net you a better result than being reactive. Procrastination is not your friend when it comes to roster flexibility. So how has Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean done in managing roster succession? Well, we mentioned wide receiver already, but where has he been spending his young and cost-controlled assets? So for this project, I used the Rich Hill draft chart to outline the points that Bean has spent in the draft since 2018. I looked at the positions he spent draft capital on through the lens of the concept of investment. A sixth round pick is not the same level of investment as a second round pick. A team intrinsically knows this because they're utilizing those draft picks for trade and they know it at that time. But then once they spend them, we have a tendency to lose sight of the concept. Once the draft pick has been acquired, then we're like, oh, well, you know, it's just a player. Then we do things like, well, he spent this many picks on offense and this many picks on defense. Yes, but not all those picks are the same level of expenditure. And that matters because the sixth round pick has a lower likelihood of being on your roster for the entire length of the rookie deal than a second round pick. Higher expenditures, higher probability of being on the roster longer, higher probability of being on the roster longer, higher chance of contributing positively toward a roster succession. The areas where a team spends the most is likely to be the area where the roster succession planning is the most stable, barring unforeseen events, as we previously mentioned. So let's do it. Let's take a look at all of Brandon Bean's draft capital expenditure that was actually used to draft a player, a young cost-controlled player. I am not going to take you individually through every single pick. But in 2018, the Bills had 818 points of draft capital. In 2019, they had 670. In 2020, they had 190. In 2021, they had 345. And in 2022, they had 401. So the total point expenditure since 2018 has been 2,424 points on the draft value chart. And here is their point expenditure by position. Quarterback, 
434 points, which is 17.9%. Running back, 195 points, which is 8%. Wide receiver, 44 points, which is 1.8%. Tight end, 41 points, which is 1.7%. Offensive line, 221 points, which is 9.1%. Defensive line, 814 points, which is 33.6%. Linebacker, 366 points, which is 15.1%. Defensive back, 298 points, which is 12.3%. And specialists, 11 points, which is 0.5%. Here is the point expenditure by side of the ball. Offense, 935, which is 38.5%. Defense, 1478, which is 61%. And specialists, 11 points, which is 0.5%. Well, Brandon Bede spent 18 picks on offense and 19 on defense. It's basically been equal. No, it has not been equal. Because a six-round pick is not the same expenditure as a second-round pick. And we shouldn't treat them as equals. Because the second-round pick is a more meaningful investment. And as such... It has a higher chance of contributing to your roster succession than a sixth-round pick. Now, it becomes a lot less of a surprise that the Bills could potentially face numbers problems at the wide receiver position when you note that they've spent 1.8% of their available draft capital since Brandon Bean showed up on the position. The Bills very well may need to select a tight end at some point in 2023. They've spent 1.7% of their capital on the position since 2018. The areas where you're running into bodies issues are the areas where you spent less in the draft. To nobody's surprise, the defensive line tops the list in terms of draft capital utilized to actually draft a player. And the Bills don't have nearly the bodies issue there that they have elsewhere. Boogie Basham, Gregory Rousseau, Still under contract for at least two more years. If they make an addition in that space, it's due to a talent problem and an efficacy issue, not because they don't have the right amount of bodies. Because they do. Defensive tackle becomes a little trickier because Ed Oliver, fifth-year option, you got to make a call. But you don't have the same bodies issue there that you do elsewhere. Why? Because you spent more on it. A.J. Epinesa hasn't exactly let the world on fire, but he's going to see all four years of his deal. The running back position being as high as it is, 8%, continues to remain an inefficient usage of assets, in my opinion, especially given how easy running back production is to find in the NFL. And a selection of a running back high in this year's draft, as some have mocked, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs have both shown up as far as Buffalo Bills draft picks would slant the asset expenditure heavily toward that position relative to others. Now remember, the question was, where has Brandon Bean invested his young, cost-controlled capital? That's why the Stephon Diggs trade and the Kelvin Benjamin trade weren't calculated. This is not a reflection of the priorities of the team as a whole. It's simply a reflection of where the potential issues with talent and body have arisen, and will arise due to specifically the draft assets used to acquire young players on deals that could potentially have significant surplus value at the position. 
Roster succession issues are a result of two things. Not spending assets on particular positions and not having the players you draft pan out on your roster. This exercise attempts to isolate one of those factors, but we still fully recognize the other. I thought it was interesting. I think you could do this with a lot of different rosters in the NFL, and you could find out that the reason that they're having problems is probably because they didn't draft meaningful players. They didn't spend significantly. And then that snowballs because you don't have the bodies, so now you have to plug the hole. But the thing you plug the hole with is a free agent, and the free agents are always more expensive. There's little tiny roster inefficiencies that creep up as an effect. This is the cause. So go draft a wide receiver, Buffalo Bills, or two, maybe more. Please draft a wide receiver for the love of all that is holy and sacred. Please draft a wide receiver meaningfully. Moving on, we are going to go to emails. And Jeremy sent an email and said, I was thinking about your Nick and Nolan show regarding developing the screen game. I'm seeing multiple content creators and fans clamoring for the Bills to run more screen plays next year. As you outlined in your segment, it's not as easy as simply calling more screen plays. In other words, run a screen is not the solution. Perhaps you could repurpose your screen game podcast to incorporate the Bills' current personnel and describe to listeners what it will take for the Bills to become an effective screen play team. Now, Cliff Notes, the Bills do need to be better with screens. They absolutely do. But they're never going to be an incredibly effective screen team, at least not in the traditional sense. You can have tunnel screens and bubble screens, but as far as a traditional running back screen, those things have a tendency to not be as effective when you have a rushing threat at quarterback because you have a lot more people who have a spy You have a lot more eyes on the quarterback. You are much less likely to pay man coverage and have your back to the ball. So when you have things like that pop up, you have a built-in deficiency. You have to do things that take advantage of the fact that you're probably going to be facing a lot more zone coverage. One of the things that does not have a tendency to take advantage of that is the traditional running back screen game. Now, there's still things you can do in the screen game, but that also requires a personnel adjustment because Stefan Diggs is not that guy. Cole Beasley is not that guy. Khalil Shakir is a little bit more that guy. Gabriel Davis is not that guy. If the Bills went out and drafted Quentin Johnston, Quentin Johnston is that guy. He is a guy you want to draw up wide receiver screens to. But it's partially a personnel issue. It's partially simply a function of having Josh Allen as your quarterback. Even if you don't get zone coverage significantly, you're probably going to have a spy. And that also does not lend itself well toward a running back screen game very traditionally. So there's a reason why that button is not being pressed more often. And I've made peace with those reasons. Now, that doesn't mean you completely abandon it. But I think people are frequently stuck in the early 2000s when they see that. You say, oh, it's, you know, it's an easy way to get up a bunch of yards. Well, yeah, you had a quarterback who you didn't have to worry about running out the backside. And as such, you could run a lot more man coverage and you could draw in the rush and draw out the man coverage. 
and create that space, that gap. That running back screen relies on the gap between the first level of the defense and the second and third levels of the defense. But if you have a rushing quarterback threat, your defensive line is going to be a lot less likely to rush upfield, and you're more likely to get zone on the back end, which means that compression is going to be there. You want a gap. You want there to be a significant space issue between the defensive line coming upfield and the linebackers and defensive backs dropping back. And that space, that little drop in the bucket, that's where that running back screen lives. But you run into significant spacing problems if you have specific things about your team that don't allow that to work the way you want it to. So for me, yes, I really want more of a screen game, right? But that's not really the way to do it. Just traditionally running back screens, it's never going to be a big part of what the Buffalo Bills do. And I wouldn't want them to take a ton of practice time to develop a strategy around a thing that's not going to work all that often. We just talked at the very beginning of this podcast about opportunity cost. And every minute you spend on practice on the screen game is one minute you can't spend on something else. So if I have to spend my practice time in the most efficient way possible, I would prefer not to spend a ton of it on something that's maybe going to be called once a game and might not even be that effective when you do. So, James sent me an email and said that I wish there was an offensive coordinator stew stat. He said the feelings over stats takes when it comes to the conversation around Ken Dorsey and the Bills offense is hard for me as an engineer who doesn't have the time or the background to really nerd out on all 22 film and stuff. I think there's a potential to be better offensively, but looking at where the stats were, I wonder what does better really look like? It seems like people want perfection or zero and one punt games with no turnovers every week, and it's not realistic. I think that the reason why the background of nerding out on the All-22 stuff is so important with the Ken Dorsey discussion is because identifying why the Bills statistically had a good offense is important. We talk about how and why being more important interrogatives than what. This is a scenario like that. Were they good because of Ken Dorsey or were they good in spite of Ken Dorsey? Now, it's not that simple. It's not one or the other. It's what percentage of it, right? How much of the Bills offense was good because Josh Allen's a superstar versus how much was it good because Ken Dorsey was pressing the right buttons at the right time? That's the question. And I think that you can't just say good offense means good coordinator, just like you can't say bad offense means bad coordinator. Think about the discussion around Brian Dable. This, to me, is the inverse of the conversation that a lot of Buffalo Bills fans had about Brian Dable when he became the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator. The discussion was he has never led a good NFL passing attack, ever. And that was true. He never did. He also didn't have any quarterbacks. Like Matt Castle was maybe his best quarterback. It was not great, Bob. And so this is the inverse of the Ken Dorsey conversation. Was Brian Dable someone who couldn't coordinate a passing attack? No, he could. He just didn't have the weapons, didn't have the quarterback. Now Ken Dorsey has a statistically good year coordinating the Buffalo Bills offense. It can't be all Dorsey. It can't be all Dable. Was it good in spite of Dorsey? Was it good because of Dorsey? 
That's where going back and watching and doing the grinding and doing the all 22 and going through the things like the leading indicators, because what we're looking at is lagging indicators. Well, it was this good in yards and it was this good. That's a lagging indicator. That is not a leading indicator. And there's 11 players on offense and a top five quarterback in the NFL. I'd be surprised if they weren't a really good offense. You have Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. You should be a good offense. It's hard to have an offense with those two people on it and not be a really good offense. But it's the leading indicators. What about the play action usage? What about use of motion? Let's look at the concepts. Let's look at leading indicators because we know the lagging indicators are good. But the leading indicator, the reason why the success was occurring or the lack of success has happened, I think becomes important. Joseph sent an email and said, Bruce, either you or others prefer to say that any given year can't be the year due to the luck and randomness in the NFL. Therefore, we should look into windows, a span of perhaps four to five years when we're loaded up for a solid shot at Super Bowl. I can't help but think that our window is closed for now. Sure, as long as we have Allen, we always have a shot. But the 2020, 2021, and 2022 seasons seem to be our best bet. The pass catching position is suspect. Gabe Davis hasn't stepped up. Beasley's old. Knox is solid, but not a game changer. Cook is still an unknown. The offensive line is the biggest mess it's been. But mainly, we will lose at least one of Tremaine Edmonds or Poyer. We're $20 million over the cap. I could be catastrophizing, but I don't see this 2023 team being better on paper than the last three years without a home run draft and nailing free agency. If 2023 is worse than the prior three years, how can we expect to make it to the Super Bowl when those teams didn't either? In summary, why can we make it to a Super Bowl and why can't we? I know you want me to ignore randomness, but I'm not gonna. I never ignore randomness. Look at these two teams in the Super Bowl. The Eagles are right in the middle of their window. Got a really good quarterback on a rookie deal. Made some young asset expenditures that really panned out. Do you know who wasn't in their window this year? The Chiefs. They closed their window when they traded Tyreek Hill, remember? Patrick Mahomes didn't have the weapons. There were serious concerns about the Chiefs. Now, a lot of people didn't think that the Chiefs were going to be like a bad team, but there's a real significant argument the Chiefs were not better on paper this year than they were last year when they lost to the Bengals and didn't go to the Super Bowl. Being the better team on paper doesn't really matter. I think there's a very good chance the 2023 version of the Buffalo Bills are not better on paper. But I don't think the 2022 Chiefs were better than the 2021 Chiefs. I don't think the 2021 Bills were better than the 2020 Bills. But some people thought they were. I think there's a threshold that you need to pass. I think we need to stop thinking about it like gradients. Like, is it better or worse than last year's team? Because the chances are, there's a good chance it's going to be worse than last year's team. But can it be worse than last year's team and good enough to win a Super Bowl? Yes. To me, it's about crossing the threshold of are you a Super Bowl contender, period. Be a Super Bowl contender for as long as humanly possible. Be as good as you can for as long as you can. This team could be a worse team next year and go farther. That's a real possibility because you cannot take out the randomness of the NFL. I know you want to, but you can't. Also, it only takes one draft. 
the Chiefs went through a weird stretch where they didn't draft very well. And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, they drafted really well. And now they have meaningful contributors. We just talked about young, cost-controlled players who are making an impact. The Chiefs got them now. But go back and look at their drafts. We talked about it not too long ago. So I can't take out the randomness. It's for me, it's about crossing the threshold. Be a Super Bowl contender. Be as good as you can for as long as you can. Hope you get lucky. And if not, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.